Welcome to Space Browse, the science fiction movie podcast for bad bitch feminists. I'm Kate. And I'm Mary. And with us, a special guest who is feeling great and having fun, Delena Sanders. How are you, girl? Hey, What's I'm up? real good. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to stay warm here in Milwaukee. <laughs> well, it's in the time machine, so now people are going to be like, what? It's spring. But that's okay. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Right now, it is quite cold. It's quite cold. Um, Talina, um, so I know you as a dear, dear old friend, but how do other people know you, Talina? Well, some people know me as a professor. <laughs> um, I teach film production and media studies at Sonoma State University uh, in Sonoma County, California now. And I'm also an experimental and documentary filmmaker. That's awesome. That's awesome. So That's super dope. We're... Um, <laughs> She's bringing, she's bringing, you're bringing expertise to our otherwise very, ca- very casual podcast. So I hope you get very casual with us. Uh, I'm going to be extremely casual. Please get casual. Because today we are covering um, Solaris. And I want to uh, call out specifically, we are doing the 1972 OG Solaris. We are not messing around with George Clooney in this, in this pod. Not yet anyway. I don't know. But there's there's not a living person who's seen the Soderbergh version. I agree with that. I have never encountered one single person that's watched the Soderbergh version. Everyone has heard about it. They have ideas about it. Oh, yeah. I've never seen it. But no one I've ever no. encountered has seen it. <laughs> it's it's basically like a giant film uh, snipe hunt. <laughs> if they just like sent people into an empty theater and everyone came, like a, like a theater showing nothing and people came out and they were like, it was brilliant. <laughs> I totally understood it. I fully understand. I've now seen Solaris in an economical 90 minutes. <laughs> and no one will admit, no one will admit that nothing happened. Mm-hmm. It's not a real move. There's like some publicity stills of George Clooney and they're like, it's real. Look. Look, how could this not be real? <laughs> it was just a big old tax shield for the government. <laughs> Made Solaris. Um but uh, so when we invited Talina to um, join us, become become a become a space bra with us, um, I said, "Whatever you want, girl. We'll do whatever movie you want." And she was like, "Boom! Three hour movie, Solaris." <laughs> and I'm very glad you did because I'm not sure I would have had the guts to take this on just me, like be like, "We, we should do this." But I'm really glad. I was like a chat, like a gauntlet was thrown. And I was like, "Yes, I'm picking that up." <laughs> Absolutely. But would you tell us a little bit about why you selected this film? Yeah. So why I picked this one? Um, yeah, in part because of the opportunity to watch it from a feminist perspective. So um, my background in undergrad, I was in art studio with Mary's partner, Andrew. Um, and I never took a single film class because I thought I didn't know enough fil- about film to take a class very funny premise to me now as a professor. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, <laughs> yeah. when you think about the film professors who were teaching. Right. <laughs> right. Drag them. Yes. Yeah. Um, or, but just, you know, I, I, I even know it was mostly meant, like, I did take film. We went to the same college. Um, but I took film classes and, like, it was, like, safe space. I yeah, felt good. Yeah. Well, like, of course, now it's like, yeah, everyone should take a film class if you're even mildly interested, right? Yeah, but why the But at the not? time, I was too intimidated. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then in grad school, I finally figured out, like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely committed to this 
this way of expressing ideas. And um, then I kind of went through this whole church of film school conversion where I, I learned to watch movies in a very different way and you never talk over them and it's all very sacred space. And, you know, I still do have, I do have a feeling of devotion to filmmaking and it is like an important practice to me. Um, it's very central to my life. But however, um, thinking about a sci-fi movie to watch from a feminist perspective, um, I thought it would be kind of interesting to take on Tarkovsky, who is definitely a very sacred figure in my field, um, and just kind of think about um, particularly the one Tarkovsky genre movie. Um, this is it. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else is definitely in a totally different realm um, that he made, although this has very Tarkovskyan gestures throughout. But yeah, I just had never, like, this film is never a film that's discussed about its portrayal of women or any sort of intersectionality or representation. There's not, that's just not part of the dialogue around this movie that I've ever experienced. So I thought, yeah, well, why not? Which is wild because it's a movie about a dude coming to terms with his wife's suicide. So you would think, I, I, I mean... I did a very high level, right? With my limited, my limited means using the inter- like using the internet to look things up, right? <laughs> um, I was surprised by how little feminist critique I found for this movie, and the the ones I did felt very like guerrilla, like it was like people writing on a blog, being like, "This is my personal blog, and these are my ideas." And I was like, Totes. I was like, well, you know, that's kind of what our podcast is. So I guess it works. <laughs> like, why not? Why not? Um, oh, my God. I love that you just called our podcast Gorilla Feminist Critique because into it. Yep. Yep. Um, so do you think he explores feminist theory in any of his other films? Just out of curiosity. I've seen like one or two others. I've seen The Mirror um, and I've seen I'm pretty sure most of Stalker. But. I don't know. I never. I've never watched them, knowing that I was like trying to think of it from a feminist perspective, but just out of curiosity. Right. Um, not in any. I mean, I do not profess to be a total Tarkovsky expert, and I haven't seen all of his films still. Mm. Um, so, uh, without knowing absolutely one hundred percent for sure, I mean, there's a lot of depictions of women and women as central characters, but it's more of that kind of family unit. Mother figures. It's it's more along those lines from my women in shawls. Women in a lot of shawls. A lot of beautiful. I mean, stunningly beautiful shots of women from like behind looking out at a landscape, <laughs> or like something very dramatic happening, like a house on fire, or <laughs> like, <laughs> like things that are objectively sublime and beautiful um, with women there. Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't usually think you know as far as. Yeah, but I don't think there's much engagement with what is this depiction of women. But yeah, yeah, cool. Well, I well, thank you. I'm really glad that we're gonna we're gonna cover this movie. I am going to try to give it a very brief plot overview, which is a bananas thing to try to do for a movie that is 167 <laughs> minutes long. But um, you got this, girl. I believe but, in you. Uh, yeah, I think I think I really do. So basically. Um, Our central figure, uh, Chris, is a psychologist who is sent to assess the mental state of the skeleton crew living aboard this, like, derelict space station orbiting the fictional planet of Solaris. And when he arrives, it's very spooky, and he starts catching little glimpses of what they call, quote-unquote, guests, which are these beings that present as human um, who are inexplicably materializing on the ship. And... 
Um, one of these beings is Chris's late wife, late wife Hari, and then the narrative blasts off like a very emotional rocket. <laughs> Basically, nice. <laughs> so that gets you up to speed for what um, for what this movie's like. Um, I have history with this movie. I had seen it before, but um, and and I, I remember enjoying it and thinking it was very beautiful. But I didn't really remember a lot of the nuts and boltsy stuff about it. But I did remember that it was very long. And like a ponderous film. And this is when I was an undergrad and there was a um, like a dollar rental movie place really close to campus that I would go to all the time. Uh, Talina uh, will know it as Hancock. I knew it as the same basic business, but called Premiere Video. And I was digging around, like looking for a movie one afternoon. And I suddenly hear this guy approach (laughs) the counterman. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who was like, you know, like plucked from high fidelity except movies, like that kind of guy, just like totally over it, but like knows everything, doesn't want to give up anything sort of thing. And this guy's like, I'm looking for like a really cool and romantic movie that I can like watch with my date. <laughs> and this guy behind the counter is like Solaris, original Solaris, 100%. So I pop up from behind. Oh my god! This rock of like, videos. Oh my god! Like like a mere cat. Like like what? <laughs> and I was like, that is bad advice. <laughs> and they both turned to me, and I knew that I is, knew the guy. That's a terrible date. <laughs> and I knew the guy by the counter, and I was like, dude, are you really professing? <laughs> Three hour long. Russian film about a sad woman aboard a space station as a real panty dropper? Are you out of your mind? Um, and we'll get to the end of the story at the at the end of the pod. But it was it was a very funny moment. And when I think of Solaris, I always think of that story. So when uh, Talina suggested we do it, I was like, yeah, there's feminist themes here for sure. Tarkovsky just brings all the honeys to the yard. All of our listeners should uh, follow that advice. This nearly three-hour Russian film with long, and I mean like long shots of, you know, someone sleeping in bed or uh, uh, a car driving for like three reads underwater. Whatever. (laughs) Reads. Yeah. Um, I would recommend though watching this with people you care about. The reads are a good movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a very good time with it. Sure did. We had a very good time. Um, and I think it's paced well. I, I know we're we're kind of taking the piss out of it a little bit for being so long, but well, I, it's it's fun too, guys. It's a it's a beautiful yeah. Criterion Collection film. Like, guys, we have fun. Is really around <laughs> you, but yeah, um, I do think I, it's paced well. Pearls I've, before swine. I'm not. I've, yeah, I've watched six hours of it this week, so, <laughs> so I'm clearly in it. <laughs> it's all good. Um, but let's let's uh, let's just start it right off the top. Um, what were things that grabbed us? From a feminist perspective, do we think this movie is important? All that good stuff. I It's interesting because this reminded me a lot of when I had to analyze um, T.S. Eliot's The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock from the feminist perspective. In a lot of ways, the feminist perspective is, is missing or it is totally represented through a male lens. But there is like this particularly, I mean, I found profound moment where our woman... Uh, and I, I'm just going to leave it as, at that as my description of her, um, is making a speech and even like shouts down this asshole scientist 
and says, don't interrupt me. I am a woman after all. And I was like, I, does, does that work? <laughs> like, I really want that too. <laughs> Right, um, but um, I wish that worked in real life. Let's watch. Let's watch the <laughs> right? guys. Let's uh, let's watch the instant replay on the Kavanaugh trial and find out if that works. <laughs> um, Do not interrupt me. Says. I am after all a woman. <laughs> period. <laughs> that works. Um, um, it's interesting. I'm I'm not sure that I would call this feminist in the way that like the love song John Alfred Prufrock I found I couldn't call feminist, but it is an interesting view of how. Um, men be women and also about like i think that this movie is mostly about existentialism to me um an existential ennui yeah uh, i would agree with that yeah. mm. well knowing knowing a little bit of a background about the movie and how the the conditions of production so part of why this is a sci-fi movie um, going back to this being a Soviet production and Tarkovsky as a figure who is beloved and was controversial in his time, um, he had to posit a... Yeah, so he wrote this film and made it a sci-fi movie to pitch it to the government censors. Um, and he made it a genre film to be able to get around the censorship of the Soviet government to talk about individualism. So basically, it's a film about individual experience and existentialism um, that is wrapped in the package of sci-fi to make it uh, appetizing to government censors. And it, it existed as a novel, right? So they loved mm-hmm. they loved that because they were like, oh, we already signed off on this. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Well, what's, what's really fascinating about that, Talina, and I didn't realize that, is that I had read that... Um, the author didn't feel like it was a great adaptation and then the, the filmmaker like wasn't ready to say that it was a success because the author was more concerned about talking about like what it was that constituted life and alien life and um the filmmaker like took an opportunity to really dig into like what you said uh individualism and like themes of like what is existence and what is pain and what is suffering and like what what is it to be alive and i didn't realize that like it was partly like that was that was baked into the pudding. Like the part of the point was, yeah, I'm adapting this this book, but I'm actually telling my own kind of manifesto. That's fascinating. Well, and um, that the novelist should know that the Clunster is going to come and like totally wrap up <laughs> any problems. But apparently, that's supposed to be like much truer to the book. Clooney <laughs> cleanup cleanup crew. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Get that ER guy in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kentucky yeah. boy. Kentucky boy. Well, Mary, would you call this feminist? I, I believe, well, I believe that they touch on a lot of interesting things that relate to feminism. I, personhood, I think that there is, there is no way a story about a barefoot woman in space interacting with a power dynamic with three pissed off weird male scientists is not going to be feminist in some way or not speak to right. those sorts of things. Do I think... Tarkovsky like set out was like feminist magnum opus. No, of course not. Hundred percent no. But no. that doesn't stop us from anything. So <laughs> I don't no. And and I and I honestly like respect to uh, the auteur. He's great. I love his movies. But like I don't really care that it, he didn't bake it in because things. Fi- of, of course, it doesn't. Nature finds his perspective a way. on Hari <laughs> doesn't really matter. Yeah. Nature finds a way, which he would appreciate, um, based on how he feels about nature in this movie. As, he, um, as, as Jeff Goldblum, he would appreciate. Yes, nature finds a way. Yeah. So let's just like let's dive right in. Let's talk about Hari. 
Well, so first off, Hari is uh, is Chris's ex-wife who, well, not ex-wife, late wife who uh, appears because as a manifestation of his perception of her. Um, yes. His guest. Yes. And while he's sleeping, like, his first night, he wakes up to her being there in his room. Um, and I would just like to say real quick, I thought it was fascinating. Um, you know, the longer she's with him, the more human she gets. But in the beginning, she can't remember. Um, the way that they make it sound, they make it sound like, you know, he moved away and she was still there. And she's like, well, I can't remember anything after that. And you're kind of like, oh, you know, she only remember what he can conceive. And then you realize that, you know, there's more to it. But it was it's a really fascinating reveal. Yeah. So. Her introduction is great. I loved it. It's beautiful. So you see initially, like, it's not an extreme close-up, but it's really close. Like, it's very close of just her her cheek and her mouth and, like, a lower lower portion of, like, one of her nostrils. And she's just, she's bathed in this sort of, like, tomato red light. And you see all the little hairs on her face. Like every little hair is just like golden (laughs) in this light. And then you zoom out and you see this woman almost sitting like the Mona Lisa. Like she's just kind of got this like very like serene expression on her face. She's just like hanging out as if nothing ever like happened. And I feel like that introduction um, definitely sets her up for like how she is for at least half the movie, maybe a little less, where she's this sort of beautiful fragile creature but she's also like a little bit wild like she's a little bit more maybe because she doesn't have as many memories she's like she comes off as a little naive but she also like just like goes for stuff and like has gut reactions and just says things and is like yeah i'm a real i'm a real thing look at me obviously which when you compare it to sort of these scientists that are much more um clinical in their approach or kind of like just sort of coming unglued and they're just like holding on for anything that's reality. She she comes off as a little bit raw, um, which is great. I really enjoy yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it's interesting. I read something that called her the opposite of the femme fatale um, in the hmm. way that um, she's more eternally feminine, kind of clinging and vulnerable and frightened, but like, um, like this openness and this vulnerability and this affection. You know, and I the, liked it. the costuming too, like that she's wearing this leather dress. Yes, you know, like she's wearing skin. Like she is, she is yeah. this apparition of a man's percep- perception of her, right? But she's wearing skin as her outfit, and then this red hair Has to be cut and out of it. Everything is warm about her, and that lighting, and all of that. Like all of the markers of Hari are this warmth, while Chris is asleep on. a like grandma plastic wrapped bed. <laughs> He's sleeping on a big lunch. Yeah. Ball. <laughs> like, no, on this like, this cold sterile space. Like mm-hmm. what what he wants, what like ends up being conceived for him is this bottomless pit of like nurturing and love. And I don't mean that that's all she's capable of. Like, but it's what you said, Mary. Like she's raw. Like she's the opposite of clinical. Mm-hmm. Um Yep. And therefore she's engaging. But she also doesn't like appear until like 40 to 50 minutes into the movie like that is true hmm. mm-hmm. which if you consider that is still like end of first act maybe <laughs> right yeah, yeah no i was gonna say like after after like the first third so i technically yes that's that's still all during part one of part two but like of two parts but i considered it yeah at the end of the first act 
Yeah. So and we and, meet her, and she's, and then I feel like the story. So the story is about a lot of stuff leading up, and it continues to be about a lot of stuff, obviously. But I feel like once she gets there, she she is the a plot, <laughs> and then everything else kind of like molds around it. Everything or, else or falls feeds away. into it because it's a, a very well made movie. Um, but, sure. Right. But her coming is like is like an emotional like peak moment, and then she, when she arrives, things change, and they don't ever really go back after her arriving. Um, she goes off like an emotional rocket. <laughs> Before she goes off in an actual <laughs> rocket. <laughs> Probably crying. Yeah, no, after, well, and it's so funny, like, so she first comes, he literally just tries to get rid of her after being like, oh, you can come with me, and, like, puts her in a rocket ship and, like, blasts her off into space, and then, like um, the ultimate Snout, lighting. uh, yeah, oh my god, right? <laughs> and then Snout comes to his room, and he's like, oh yeah, no, I mean, you, she'll come back again, and he's like, oh, so, like, what was she? And he explains that, like, she's a manifestation of, like, his conception of her. And he was like, well, I just got scared. And after that, he doesn't try to get rid of her at all because he's, like, her being a reflection of what he wants is is not terrifying to him. It was just the absence of any explanation. And I thought that was really interesting. This, like, yeah, my jerk reaction was to, like, get rid of you. But if there's anyone is giving me permission to give you a reason to be here... That's enough for me. Damn you know? dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn dog. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the getting getting shoved into that rocket is just crazy. And he has that. Oh, it's. That's like his first weird. reaction. Like, it's his knee jerk reaction. He doesn't even think about it. Like, he gets out of bed and he's like, you need to put this on, which is like a little like cotton spacesuit thing. And the cutting her out of the dress. Which apparently scene. doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> her dress doesn't work. Initially, he has to remove her from her clothing. And after that, she's like, got it. She knows what to do. And yeah, she knows how to take off her own dress it's, after it's, that. That's, a, that's an interesting, and you know, in a, a movie that is as thoughtful as this, that's purposeful. There's oh, there's 100%. there's meaning to read into that. Of course, of remember. course. Well, and and I love that like leather you know you called her her skin, but this shedding of her skin in order to like kind of have like a rebirth. Like yeah, she starts as just a conception of his, but she changes and she evolves and she adapts. Um, that like really do feel like that moment though. So at Snout's birthday, when they're they're all down in the library and it has no windows, and they're talking, and and she interrupts these these three men discussing like you know what they're gonna do and their motivations, and says that Chris is the only person who's act humanely in a humane in an, in inhumane. an inhumane situation. Yeah. And I thought that was really powerful because I'm. I would love to pose this question to you all, you know, take your, I know that this isn't like profound film criticism, but taking ourselves out of this moment, if a loved one of yours appeared and they just were like a person, or would they I seemed push like them a into person, a rocket like, and shoot them off into space? No, no. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about the first reaction. I'm talking about like, I kind of, I, I would just want, I would just want to take care of them and love them too. Like yeah. I would, you know, I, it would be like, yeah, sure, great. I understand that, like, their blood's weird, but, like, this person doesn't have a memory of, of anything else. Like, all they know is being, you know, my wife. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to so be hard. a fucking monster, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, uh, what is the point of existence except to love other people and be loved in return? Like, yeah, we're out here and we're we're dealing with this, like, existential and we have, like, 
what it is to be alive, but I don't, they're all, they keep on talking about how, like, we need to wait for this blob to make contact. This blob is making contact. I call it a blob. I know it's the ocean, whatever. Um, but, like, this, like, what is this if it's not contact? You know, what is this if it's not, like, us embracing um, the fact that what existence can be and how we define it, anyway? I, Sorry. yeah, I, I do, I hear what you're saying. I will say, I think that the, the reason, so, I think she gives him a lot of credit. Yeah, please, please take us. I, yeah. I feel like she gives him a ton of credit in that scene where she's like, he's acting humanely in an inhumane world. My girl, you should see what he did to Hari too. Um, <laughs> but, Hari too. Yeah. So that's I call. So ha- I, oh oh oh. So is Hari two the one that he puts on the rocket? Yeah. So Hari one is Earth. Okay. Hari, Hari two yes. is is Rocket Hari, and then Hari three is sure. Main, main banana Hari. <laughs> the Hari that okay, we experienced good. the most in the course main, of this film. Good, good, good. Main squeeze. Sorry. Um, but I think that um, I just, I agree entirely with you that he just like can't explain it. Um, and I think that this like bit of dialogue at the beginning um, while he's talking to Burton, like when they're on the farm, Burton's come back and been like, yep, I went up to Solaris. I saw some crazy stuff. I came back and it ruined my career. Um, and Chris is talking to him and Chris is basically coming from this place of being like, well, you know, I'm just going to go up there and it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with my emotions. And we're going to, yeah, I'm, I'm a see- scientist. I'm not a poet. Yeah. I'm not a poet. Yeah. I'm a scientist and I'm going to check it out and either I'm going to see stuff and that will legitimize that it's a crisis and we will take, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll dissemble the crew and everyone will come home or we'll take extreme measures and uh, bomb the ocean full of radiation. <laughs> and basically Burton is like, whoa. Wild shit, by the way. <laughs> He's just those like, are the only two options. Is, yeah. Which is, feels very masculine. Yeah. Extremely. And, and Burton. Like, yeah, that is, yeah, as far as a feminist critique goes, like how are we going to treat the ocean? Radiation's fine. And get rid of that shit. Yeah. And his, we're either gonna bomb it or accept it. There's no in between. And he has it. fully accepted that that is his responsibility, and whatever he chooses legitimizes whatever he chooses. Like yeah, that is that's he, so masculine. He like literally says, "I will legitimize this if it is a real crisis, but it's for me to call." Yeah, that line that he says about like knowledge, like needs to be um knowledge is only valid when based on morality so he says you want to destroy which we are presently incapable of understanding forgive me but i am not an advocate for knowledge at any price knowledge is only valid when it's based in morality and then we have some like back and forth about like well man decides what's moral in science but <laughs> the <laughs> but i feel like what burton is saying is is to dis- is calling out exactly what he does to harry too he doesn't understand her it's weird. So he immediately destroys her rather than dealing with her, <laughs> like putting her yeah. in a rocket, which I don't ne- based on. I, I don't really get a sense that um, th- I don't think that there's like not there is some nonlinear stuff here, but I kind of feel like we can also infer that that might be part of the problem. What happened with Hari one? She's depressed. Yeah. Problems. He couldn't deal with it. He left. He even knew that it was a bad idea. He felt guilty about it. He even knew she said that, like, she was going to kill yeah. herself. And, but he didn't want to legitimize it. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He only said if I went up. back, I would, I would yeah. have made her believe that I was taking her words seriously. So I didn't. And when I went back, she was dead. Yeah. So I think, I think that we have, like, I think that that whole conversation is, is, like, important for, like, 
for for understanding Chris as a person, but I think it's also important for understanding him as how he relates to his wife. I think you could replace Solaris with her and it would work yeah. pretty well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Within that. No, good call. Mm-hmm. Within that. Um but so Hari is is very threatening, I think, to all the men on the ship one way or the other. I just want to call out also, I think that this yeah. plays beautifully. I don't think this movie works if everyone is a man. If, like, if like Chris's no. dad comes to the ship, does not work. Um, and I, no, don't I don't even think, so either. think it works if you have... Th- well, it could potentially. If you have three... Uh, Women scientists and and a and a late husband maybe that would work but I think that um, science fiction has a beautiful long history of basically presenting men with alien beings that are women straight up just women well because women are already othered <laughs> yeah. so it takes it to its like just like everything else in sci-fi we take it to um it's for this conclusion you know women as a um, already to... it would be hard to be. Already, it would be hard to be the one female non-scientist on there, even if you weren't an alien. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, there's, like, that opening bit of the film that they're watching about what is the fellow's name who first had the Solaris encounter? Oh, Burton. Burton. Yeah, like, there's the Burton trials, the Burton testifying video that starts. And there are some female scientists in that, but they just kind of sit around. Yeah. Like, they don't ha- they don't take an active role in that whole investigation at all. They're just kind of there. Which is kind of, I mean, it is interesting. And then there's, like, a a black man scientist, too, which, like, Soviet 1970-something is quite radical, I think. He's like, see, it is the future. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, you know, I'm, Talina, (laughs) I'm so glad you brought us back there because I would like to mention the the aunt because she is, like... She's really like our female perspective in the very beginning. And (laughs) she's really just portrayed as being kind of, like, cross, but also, like weeping you know what i mean she's, like she's like she's like an overly emotional uh woman who's, yeah who cares too much about stuff that doesn't matter <laughs> like yep like where's everyone gonna sleep chris's dad is just like that does not matter who cares that <laughs> she's like leave the room please <laughs> but she's yeah. like she's like a she's like a like you know a f- emotionally fragile dried up woman she's like the unwanted yeah but unlike woman. the other two women who are like that we see in this movie, his uh, his wife and his mother, who are beautiful works yeah. of femininity. Like she's also kind of like haggard. She's, she's plain. Comparison. Mm-hmm. She, she's yeah. styled to be very plain. Yeah, she she's wears... got the the old maid and also role. like yeah. yeah, older. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yes. So I just I do like that just that juxtaposition. Yeah. Um, speaking of clothing, what are you? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about Hari's amazing leather dress. Um, but the, the in her ev- blanket shop. But everyone mm-hmm. else, all the other dudes on this on this uh, space station, also dress in really funny ways. <laughs> so uh, Sartorius is like always in his lab coat. He's like always ready to do science. And in a moment's notice, <laughs> like ready is to go. Science. As far as we know, he yeah. sleeps in it. This is science fiction. Therefore, there must be a lab coat. Yep. In within like ninety feet at all times. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And and uh, he might be off camera, but we know exactly yeah, where he is. There's a lab coat down the hall. Don't worry. Yeah. Do not worry about it. <laughs> um. And Snout is like just disheveled, and he wears like kind, he actually has a kind of like the biggest range of clothes I would say over the course of this. Yeah, I kind of don't mind his clothing. Like I love that no. Hari's like don't become disheveled like Snout. And it's like <laughs> a how do you know that dude and b whoa 
But you don't mind the way that guy looks. He kind of dresses. For being on a space station for years. He kind of dresses the way I would imagine Ted Baxter would dress if he was on like a cruise. <laughs> like he's always wearing like socks and a shirt and a sweater and a leather jacket. And like he like has like pieces that he's always wearing. Or he like he wears like a double breasted suit at one point. He's on a space cruise. Yeah, he's on a space cruise. Like he's ready. Space cruise. He's ready to have a boat yeah. drink. Maybe like the most work he's going to do is play some shuffleboard. Like that's it. Mm-hmm. That's what he's doing. He's, he's like, got the library. He's a man of leisure. It's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Like there's the real scientist. He throws out. snout. Mm-hmm. He's got the he's got the, the the he's got the sweet piece that's hanging out in his hammock. Oh god! Oh god! <laughs> he keeps on uh, throwing away other books and basically making us through Don Quixote. You know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, he's like, this isn't my favorite book. Rubbish. I'm gonna throw him around. <laughs> All this is nonsense. Yeah. And then, Don Quixote. And then we have our hero. We've got Chris, who I am obsessed with his like main outfit. <laughs> Actually, I'm obsessed with all of his clothes. <laughs> While watching it the other day, we came up with a whole um, Solaris <laughs> group Halloween costume based on the wild range of costuming that happens. <laughs> he wears great stuff. I love, I love his first outfit, which is a like neon yellow mesh tank top. <laughs> Covered with a black leather jacket. Which, a moto jacket. A moto jacket, like every stylish man owns. And then a pair of like really cool pants. They were cool. They had like kind of like a like a bondage aspect. They had like a crazy stitching detail, but then there was this whole kind of crotch like climbing harness. Yeah, happening. It, was, it was crotch forward, to say the least. <laughs> and then like heavy zip boots. Like he wears that for a long time. He sleeps in that outfit. The in whole the boots, thing. Too. Boots too. Mm-hmm. Does not take off his crotch harness. And then as he sort of is romanced by Hari, he sort of softens. He wears like baby blue sweaters and white pants. Monogrammed PJs. An amazing. Yeah, monogrammed PJs. <laughs> Thank you, monogrammed. Yeah. <laughs> so into it. So into it. KK. And, and, a, monog- and a monogrammed bathrobe. Just yep. so that you won't. Yeah, don't, and, don't steal this on the space <laughs> no, station. Just, right? No Th- mistaking. Them's mine. <laughs> Those are the Kelvins. So <laughs> This is my thank the, you, the Kelvin crew. <laughs> um, I also like that his bathroom doesn't match his PJs. Mm-hmm. It's like a to- from a totally different set, meaning that I assume he has multiple monogram oh, PJ yeah. sets. Yeah. Um, Obviously, and then the best outfit has to be <laughs> has to be when he's in the deepest despair, and he's just <laughs> wandering around the space station in a pair of tidy whities and a. Oh, I was going to say the tiny whities when he's like fainting almost. When, Love it. When you're cycling in your tiny whities. Or that first time we see him in the tiny whities after the liquid oxygen. And he's yeah, like, that's is it. he wearing like a leather a jacket and tiny whities? And nothing else. And they, yeah, they, yeah. They basically pick the moment he's going to have to do the most like squatting. Yeah. The, in the tiny whities. <laughs> The junk is just. This is this is for the ladies. We're thinking about ladies. them. They're not might not be it's in like, the movie, I but mean, it's, true. it's like this totally... horrifying scene of her regenerating through this painful death. Yeah, and you and his junk is just like boop. Just really crotch forward yet again. Very crotch forward. Um, that is my. That's the one I would want to be. <laughs> we were doing this Halloween group costume, um, and I also when we when you see him sort of like wanly before he discovers her body, wandering down that long like red and steel hallway, the it's like kind of the circular hallway in um, the space station. 
I just turned to Lena and I was like, that looks about right. <laughs> I think we've seen him in his true form. This, this, is, yeah. this is who he is. Um, um yeah. Are sorry. we, are we, are we, are we yeah, hell this? yeah, we are. All right, let's talk let's, about, let's, let's talk about the many incantations of Hari. Well, and Hari's, all of Hari's deaths. <laughs> so this is, this is the thing I was texting you about earlier. Um, so our first Hari dies because she commits suicide and he says later it's because she probably sensed that he didn't really love her but after that like you know he did start to love her because she was gone and you love what you could lose whatever Mm -hmm. then the second Hari he puts in a spaceship because he's scared or something and overreacts so the third Hari our final Hari that we see multiple like go through like he closes the door and instead of like and she tries opening he's like it opens the other way but she like literally burst through in the most ridiculous scene. But here's here's why I disagree with all the critics about <clears throat> after the showdown in the library, where she's been told that she's not a person and made to feel like a terrible, terrible human, um, non-human. We find them in the hallway because she's just consumed liquid oxygen and is like mostly frozen and like immediately dies. And more than one critique I read said that um, she kills herself, eventually believing their husband does not love her. Um, Hari injects liquid oxygen into her system. I did not read that. I did not think it was about her worrying about him loving her. Uh, yeah, Tell me no, what I don't think. I don't, nope. <laughs> I didn't think thank that at you. all. Yeah, no. Oh my, was, okay, thank you. Yeah, More than one person wrote that. And it made me yeah. so angry because I was like, that is... She's feeling despair. I don't think she's worried about this dude leaving her. He's giving her no. Like I think it's. They're I think the women are more complicated than that. For God's sake! I mean, just yeah. on a logic level alone, and she seems quite logically aware. She's not portrayed in this way that she's like illogical and just kind of like whoa, like you know, she's not just hysterical. Yeah, medical. medical no, I think. I, yeah, I mean, aside I think from that, the metal door section. <laughs> yeah, the, that, that's a little. Well, outlier. Yeah, I mean, yeah. no, but that's also like her very first. Yeah, she's like, still. Yeah, like, she's like she's forming. still like yeah, she's, kind of yeah, exactly. She's still a little like underbaked. That. thank you i like that description but yeah by the time of the liquid oxygen he said he she did it out of despair but like i feel like that's a perfectly natural reaction to being on a space station not really knowing if you exist or if you're human feeling like you're treated like you definitely aren't um i get it i i I don't think it has to do with him they like not loving her no definitely i i I disagree with that too i don't Mm -hmm. i don't know what i don't know why they feel that way i mean it's not even explicit in the patriarchal read on it (sighs) it sure is like all women are associated with like their value to men and their like desirability and attractiveness to men like that's 100 percent this patriarchal like film bro classic yeah. film bro Just read. being like, why would a woman kill herself, man? Because uh, she's got unrequited love. No, no man. Not well, and I, and I think that that's what's strong about her is she does grow past that. She even says, like, I can get along without him being in the same space. Like, mm-hmm. I can get along without him now. You yeah, know? I mean, she starts being like, don't even leave me in this room. I'm going to bust through the door. To, yeah, like, yeah. she's yeah, becomes she's more and more of a yeah, person. a person. Like, she becomes more and more human. She's right? indi- more independent. I mean, it is a little problematic that she becomes more human. That That's the idea that Snout puts forward, that she becomes more human the more time she spends with Chris. Right? Like, that goes to this whole patriarchal, like, gatekeeper situation. Yeah. Yeah, but you can also translate that as spending more time with another human 
helps her to connect as a human. The mm. problem is there are only men on this, right. so therefore, like, we have to view it through that lens. I, but again, patriarchy. I almost read... I, I agree with you. I think you're probably right. But I did not... That did not occur to me initially. I thought it was, like, the longer she's, like, alive, because she is mm, tied to mm-hmm. him, because, right, she's... Yeah, that's why she's she, there. She's his guest. <laughs> right? Um, I thought it was more, yeah, like, she's, the she's more... she's born from his psyche and imagination. Right. The more human she becomes. Um, Mary, do you think since I'm your house guest right now, I'm going to become more and more human? <laughs> I'm hoping as so. As I say, your <laughs> <my> place. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Talina, I'm glad you brought it up. From the beginning of this podcast, I was a little worried, but I can, already I you're showing great signs of growing. You've this learned how to first, sleep. This is the first night, um, so we'll see if you've learned how to sleep yet. <laughs> um, so mm-hmm. I, I think ultimately the reason, so it's not even, that's ridiculous. The read that she's not loved and that's why she goes, I think is utterly ridiculous because it's not even explicit in the movie. Like, so... Snout's like she's becoming more human yeah. and she's getting a death drive, basically. And that's why this happened, I think, is what he's saying. And then Chris says, no, yeah. she did it out Agreed. of despair. So maybe you're like despair that he didn't love her. But I kind of feel like, no, no, no but there's but I no of, text so I to that. I feel like I agree entirely. Like, I'm like despairing about what? I mean, like, it is a weird, bad situation, but like, she also kind of doesn't know anything beyond it. So like. I think she's still like feeling it out. You know, they just they just had a beautiful moment in the library where they floated around. Oh, and yeah, it was yeah, gorgeous. that shot. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who wants to hate on this movie for not being two thousand and one well, should watch that shot. Thirty seconds of weightlessness. Beautiful. Just come on. Yeah. Oh my and then God. that no, hard zoom in on that dog. Movie. <laughs> like that is such a cool scene. I support. I support it. It was great. I loved it. It dog. made me laugh. It made me cry. <laughs> I loved it. Um. But I think, <laughs> I think like simultaneously, Hari, Hari's like is is the reason that this movie can be read. I think from a feminist perspective, the the fly in the the fly in the ointment for me is I think that the movie wants us to believe that Hari's death drive and her violent death is like baked into who she is as a person, and the longer she lives, she w- like she is destined to die. She has to die for the story to continue. And that undercuts that a lot. Um, but I think we see a lot of this like <laughs> right from the start, even not even related to Hari, where you have that uh, young woman in blue who's running around the ship with the bells on her wrists. Mm-hmm. Um, the bells. Yep. I've been like waiting to get to the other guests yep. as well. Yeah. There's so, yeah, the other guests are so, oh, so problematic. I mean, just yeah. on like if we're going to go intersectional here, like. Tough. Like uh, yeah, and yeah. you and just you, to be used in this like weird, like other extreme otherizing way to have yeah. Well, and also, I mean, potentially this is an overreach on my part, but he's Sartorius's guest, so Win assumes he's an experiment. Yeah, right. Maybe. Oh my no! I one hundred percent. And the way that like yeah, that's afraid. Was him. trying to escape <laughs> yes. from him, not join him. That's how, and I say it's how it's it this because, human is presented. As, you know, like, I don't like you said. I, you thought this was a special yeah, effect exactly. until you remember. You realized this was human, right? right? Like right. the memory is that was a special effect, but then it was like, oh no, that's actually a human person. I remember it being not as horrifying, but similar yeah. to the baby from Eraserhead. Mm. Like I remember it being like a puppet, right? Where it's like, oh, you're sick, or yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and and like scary, 
like right. a scary moment. I was like, ah, like, yeah, I was that like, thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh no. But then when I realized it was just a human, I was like, oh no. <laughs> a different, situ- different kind of horror. Oh no. Yeah. The whole situation. Yeah. But like, you know, it is kind of this yeah, other kind of horrifying. situation of the guests being like, Chris has his wife. We don't know about, cannot remember the dead guy's name just for any reason. But anyway, like that's, we don't know what the relationship is, but she's wandering around in this like extreme mini skirt nightgown like, like thing. A, it's like a baby doll nightgown, right? But she looks young. She's, but well, like, she looks I mean, like a this kid. nightgowny thing seems kind of sexualized to me. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right? And but like the bells, yeah. you know? Oh, for sure. I think right. I think all the women in this are supposed right. to be sexualized. Right. Yeah. She's, she's out, she's out of the picture. Yeah. Yeah. Old maid. Um, but like, yeah, but what's up with yeah. Snout having the person in the hammock, which we don't get a, an ear. Yeah, all we see is like an ear. ear. And... <laughs> well, that's the thing. Yeah, which is interesting because I, I mean, you know, I'm reading into this just from seeing an ear, but that seemed like a masculine body, like, like a I cis a male l- body. Right. I think it's a little boy. Yeah, it, it did. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, because because of how much we saw, like the total uh, feminization of the women that were in this, I think we're supposed to. I think if it was a woman, we, we would have seen, seen a leg like, or something. You know, right. the long something. Hair also, and, you know, also, yeah, extra creepy. Um, um, the only thing we know for sure is that those ba- those pictures of those babies belong to Snout. Oh yeah. So I think it's like I think it's kids. Uh... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dude, who can say I mean because there's like he's like come back in an hour to Chris when Chris arrives and it's just to me the whole thing seems really weird and sexual with the person well, in the guest in the hammock. hammock yeah well and, and the way that after that because so initially I'm like you know family blah 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 but the way that uh, both Snout and Sartorius or whatever are um, surprised mm-hmm. by the fact that he has mm-hmm. an emotional connection to his guest does kind of um, suggest that yeah, and they have the this whole kind of like oh you're so focused on this romance with your wife yeah right they, they both think it's dumb yeah don't make it into a quote common ro- love right. problem yeah oh this is like the thing I kept going back to just in trying to start wrapping my head around a feminist critique of this film is like Chris's first reactions to Hari arriving are first to just ship her out in a ship you know there's. A violence of just expulsion but then you know when she, when he's speaking to snout about it, he's like, can't like the first question he has is like can she be harmed about the girl in blue can she be yeah. wounded i, can I she have be wounded i have the whole quote it's was was it a human being is she real can she be touched wounded yeah touched wounded so se- sex and violence yeah sex and violence immediately and then we go to um sartorius yeah, just Sartorius wanting to do an autopsy. I mean, it's just like violence against bodies and even like an apparition of their perception of a woman, their immediate relationship to it is violence against their bodies. Well, it's so interesting because like Chris actually asked, <laughs> can you feel pain? And she's like, of course I can. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and further. So the only the only person they really talk about um in any sort of uh, reverent terms or, or thoughtful terms in terms of why why they might be dead are the, the third crew member who killed himself beforehand. They have that long conversation at Snout's birthday party about, like, why he might have killed himself. And Snout thinks that he was frightened and kind of poses it as, like, well, he was, you know, he was a good man, but he was frightened and he failed and he died. 
he killed himself because he failed and he was frightened. And then and, and so in a in a very snouty and like patronizing way. Right. Like that's his thing. And then Chris says, no, it's not that he was frightened. He was hopeless. And he thought that seeing the guests was only happening to yeah. him and it made him crazy and he killed himself. And so Taurus is basically like, I don't care why he killed himself. <laughs> he says all these heartbreaking uh, lamentations are nothing but second-rate Dostoevsky, which I bet was a real knee slapper oh, in that yeah. Russian theater. I bet that people were like, woo! Apply burn cream. Like everyone became a hype man in the background and just like starts like hopping around. Like, oh, damn! Foghorns popped up. Um... But they're doing all of this right in front of Hari, who does now know that she also committed suicide. Committed suicide as well, Mm -hmm. but they don't even at all connect it. Yeah, zero empathy to her to her situation because they don't see her as a person. Her violence, other than Chris, well, and her violence is baked in. Right, Uh only a rational man would have to would have to lose his mind to want to commit suicide. She is destined to die. Mm. Der, like we don't even have to ask her why. Yeah, just, <laughs> just an illogical lady. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when when Hari three eventually does kill herself and writes Chris that note and it's basically like this is the best for both of us. You mustn't blame anyone. I I, I have some serious and we find out that the way she killed herself, which is like so chilling, is that Sartorius has been working on an annihilator, quote unquote to take care of the guests, to get rid of the guests. And Chris, like, hears it and is like, okay, yeah. <laughs> like, that is the most upsetting. Well, he he acts like that's his reaction, but, like, he ne- like he says, like, how could I possibly, like, leave here? Like, well, I feel like he's kind of, like, holding it close to the vest. Well, one of the reasons I have beef with this is, so we don't see any of this happen, right? Because we are in Chris's dream or remembrance or... Whatever, whatever it is where you have kind of the scene where he's like conflating his wife with his mother, which she is also baked directly into her. There's like that weird scene where she's talking about a memory she had where his mother. Yeah, his mother kicked her out, but Getting they never met. Out. And actually, I think what's happening there is she he, she is remembering her kicking Chris out when their marriage was dissolving, but seeing it from his perspective. And thinking that she is the mother because Chris thinks that she is his his mother, at least partially. Um, or at least, like, those are interchangeable beings. Just a whole fun Freudian in his... just n- noodle bowl right there. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's and a... right before, yeah, so while we assume Hari is, like, crawling into this annihilator, Chris has this dream where he's in his house, his childhood, or his house that his dad lives in. And it's kind of his house, but it's also kind of the space station. Like, there's plastic everywhere, and there are, like, pieces of art and, like, features of it. And he's talking to his mother, and his mother, um, his mother is kind of, like, like talking to him the way a mother would. Like, she's kind of just being like, why don't you call, and, and where were you, and asking all these questions. Um, and it leads up to this little piece of dialogue where she says, you're leading s- some sort of strange life. You're filthy and unkempt. How did you make such a mess of yourself? And then she produces this wash basin and like nice steaming hot water in a pitcher. And she produces, she, <laughs> she washes blood off of his hands is what she does. And I think what, what I believe this means is that 
he has he is actively forgiving himself for anything that he did to contribute to Hari's death, and he is absolved and washed clean in this moment. His mother comes down and tells him that his ex-wife's death doesn't matter and that he doesn't have any blood on his hands and makes it all better. And then when he wakes up and his wife is gone, he's like, okay, yep, that makes sense. Seems about right. (laughs) Seems about about right. I'm like, no, what's right about right? this hero's journey I'm on. Yeah, this seems (laughs) about time for this. So um, on the one hand, I mean... Do you guys agree with that? Like, what do you what do you make of that that scene? I think this is a real classic kind of Tarkovsky image, and there's a lot of in Tarkovsky's work a lot of these dream states and these moments, which, yeah, you're not that are unplaceable until the end of the shot or the sequence where you're not sure if you're in a memory or a dream or yeah. So this kind of having the mother wash his arm clean, um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of primal imagery as well throughout all of Tarkovsky's career. Fire and people floating, lots of floating also. Mm. Lots of water and rain and indoor water and all these sorts of elemental things that happen. And so, yeah, it's kind of like this classic, to me, Tarkovsky image of blood being washed off by a mother. Yeah. Too. Just like, and, you know, he was very Christian, which, of course, was a big problem for... Soviet Russia, mm-hmm. you know, where there the god is state. There is no religion, right? It, right. Well, the religion so is 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 the state. Yeah, yeah. Mother Russia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, like Mother Russia, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, having this kind of imagery that harkens in some way to Christianity and biblical kinds of things, mm. too. I think that that's a subtext that comes in, and that's definitely something that working in the sci-fi genre, he can work in some Christian subtext as well. That's fascinating. Oh my gosh, I would I would not have picked up on that, but it makes total sense. Makes total sense. Totally. I would um, also like to say that you know you've talked about the interchangeability between the two. We have we mentioned in the notes uh, mirrors becoming a thing, and they really only become a thing in this third act. But uh, he he sees his mother, and he sees her turning mm-hmm. into Hari, and Hari turning into her, kind of in this repetition of view. But uh, in the stream, it's also. It's the way it, it made me think so much about the role of what a mother is, like that kind of love and dependence you can feel, like the way in which he's feel like he seems so vulnerable and so like willing to just kind of like let her take care mm-hmm. of it mm-hmm. in a way that like in some ways Hari kind of also like fills that role. Like he kind of like wants to just like like the way he buries his face in her and like kneels in front of her. It's almost worshipful, but it's also like he wants her to be his salvation in the same way that like a mother, like that's her role is just like, yeah, she's like asking him how he got into such a mess, but like he, he has tears in his eyes and he just like, it's, he looks like a child again, you know, even though he's an old man in those shots. Yeah. He wants her to do the emotional labor of the grieving process for him, which, Mm I would like to point out the, the the other place that I've definitely seen this happen. I mean, he's basically he approaches Hari slash his mother the way potentially a Zach Braff would pr- approach Natalie Portman and ask her to wash his cr- his wash his tears away with the shins. Like it's a little 
it's a little like no, for sure. You know, you 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 as a woman have this magical ability to mm. make this all better for me, and I as the man cannot find my way out. Well, on a, it made me think yeah. of the Charles Sunshine of a Spotless Mind, though. Like moment of like, I thought she, like I still thought she was gonna save me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's it's like yeah. On the one hand, I'm starting to think about emotionality, uh, like. Tarkovsky movies and this movie in particular like men Chris like what is his emotionality right Mm -hmm. and like men expressing emotionality in any sort but then yeah in this sequence like the woman takes up the mantle of that emotionality and just I'll just wash that away I'll make I'll make it better take care of this yeah um and I think ultimately this this is my crisis with this movie is like this scene and like this outcome for Hari makes me feel bad <laughs> from a feminist perspective mm-hmm. because yeah, but this is the point where I think I think this is the point where you said to me like I don't give a shit what happens to Chris I don't <laughs> like I from seri- this point on whatever happens to this man I don't care I don't care I don't I really don't care I mean <laughs> I really thought that she was gonna appear at the end I was really because I I'd seen in your notes mention of him still being on Solaris and I was positive that would happen. Well, she got annihilated. <laughs> she got blasted away in a burst of light and wind. So she ain't coming back. Peace. Peace. Maybe Hari 2 is floating around in a rocket ship like... Uh, <laughs> like The uh, sequel we deserve. L- one assumes... One assumes hanging out with Laika yep. <laughs> up in space still. Y'all, next film for me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. What what's up with Hari Two? Hari Two. Hari Two. The Return. Hari Two. Back in business. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think the three of us should make this movie. Yes. Uh, we'll get we'll get a Hollywood blockbuster to sign on. Absolutely, uh, we will. We'll leave George Clooney out of it. <laughs> if and, George Clooney uh, wants to pay for the movie, produce it. Totally fine. I will. <laughs> producer take... George. Producer that ER guy. Uh, per <laughs> M. Johnston. Producer that ER guy. <laughs> the ER guy. That is that 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 needs to be that needs to be in my in his contract that I can refer to him as exclusively as that. Um, but um, are you guys familiar with the concept of fridging? It's, it's yes, no, no yes. That? I was so glad you said that. Um, okay, so it's I don't I actually don't know if it's new or not. I, it's new to me. Um, well, it's, Gonna be new to me live right, right now. Yeah. yeah, here it is. It's happening. But there was a t- there was a blog of feminist comic book fans who kept noticing that like, you know, heroes' journeys sometimes usually are punctuated with a death of a woman, and they collected a bunch of images of women in like crammed into refrigerators like like that that is what causes yeah, dead body you found that, mm-hmm. in the right fridge. or like or like in like walking freezer. freezers and like cold situations and they were like as as like the crisis moment for the superhero to rise and become the superhero he's supposed to be so they are not women who have personhood or um a destiny beyond being a plot device for a male character and i f- I feel like Hari gets fridged a oh, little bit. I mean, she gets frozen by liquid oxygen. <laughs> she literally, oh, no, and, and, and she literally gets fridged. I mean, so like, many of these through cases, the veins. women yep. literally get frozen, and yeah, yeah, that like we see it happen. Like, yeah, and and it's like a huge, it's a huge thing now. And actually, and because it's born out of comic books, a lot of comic book. Um, you know, comic, movie, comic book movies are very, very popular right now. Um, are talking, <laughs> you don't say. Yeah. I don't know if you know this. Um, but 
we'll address it and talk about fridging as like a concept now. But ne- once you know about fridging, you see fridging everywhere. Like yeah, it just yeah. has it just has a nice word. Well, it just has a nice term constant. for it now. Yeah, the creators of uh, Deadpool two were asked like, "Did you you know was yeah. were you trying to make a joke about this?" And they're like, "Oh, we didn't even know that was a thing." And it was like, mm. "Great, good." Yeah. The only way you can kind of like get away from uh from Hari being artsy fridging is this idea of if she stands for the audience's emotional ennui, but like even then, like that's that's yeah. doing backflips. That's yeah. that's that's me trying to bend over backwards and put something where like as, as a member it of the Church of Film exist. School, I do appreciate you attempting to say <laughs> right. Tarkovsky's no, but like this happens a lot on our here. podcast where I'm like, if I really want to try and do the work and if I really yeah. want to try to make this look better, here's what I'd do. But, yeah. Right. I mean, this is like yeah. I going into doing this after I selected Solaris and then I was like, ooh, what did I just do to myself? <laughs> I do want to continue to be an academic and film at the same time like yeah it is interesting that i mean within film and experimental film the kind of rarefied zone that i'm in most often like there are certain heroes that we just don't touch like for decades like we don't like they are great work and and obviously these are white men these are like wonderful brilliant white men that never get taken down like there are sacred cows within film right and Tarkovsky is definitely one and like you know I have read Sculpting in Time I love Tarkovsky I've considered getting a Tarkovsky tattoo for God's sake I mean like you know this is a hero of mine right will it it now say Hari was French (laughs) (laughs) it's just going to be of like the derelict insides of the space station it will be a magnet on a fridge or a big sticker on a fridge that just says justice for Hari justice for Hari and then like I'm gonna get that hallway outside of the lab with (laughs) the the vending vending machines machines that inexplicably disappear (laughs) after Hari disappears yeah they must have something to do with that. Maybe, maybe they good. were also a figment of uh of his desire. <laughs> who who they were fridges? They were fridges. <laughs> she got it. Oh, she was fridged and she was fridged and put into a vending machine. That is the lowest, the low in terms of fridge hierarchy. Maybe You're right. It maybe, is technically a chilling device. Maybe a, maybe a dorm room fridge is worse. I don't know. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. I mean, but we we so appreciate you guys. We so appreciate the the opportunity to like you know we yeah, got an academic I mean, here we might as well we might as well take it on but yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean I think 2019 it's it's time it's yep. time to start unpacking all of these like the mythos around auteurs. certain auteur filmmakers that never get questioned like totally. agreed that's yeah. that's that's what it, that's honestly what I built my film minor on was uh, being like yeah I I know he's a big deal. Bet. Fuck it. <laughs> Bet. Uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, there's yeah, my like, let me push Bet. my glasses up my nose <laughs> and let's, let's get into it. Um, right. right. Um, but one of the things I was thinking about is that, I mean, I keep going back to, this is one of the things I liked about watching this movie with you, Mary, oh. is like, just, uh, you had a totally different way of reading it where I get really hung up in like the production side of things. Totally. like. Having worked on sets and worked in production design roles and things like that, I get so hung up in little details that I kind of miss the forest for the trees sometimes Mm. with like reading big like thematic elements, I think, especially with narrative, which is not what I do. Mm. Um, But yeah, just like this little detail that stood out to me is that being able to see the mark on her arm, like she comes back as an apparition of his perception of her, but she is the dead body version 
of her that there is the dress that she must have been wearing when she died and it's the cutout section and the injection spot on her arm at all times like just like that also always putting her in the dead body version no matter what mm-hmm. yeah no that's that's fascinating honestly like, like you when know, I first she lived- saw that I was like did she die of a bee sting yeah. and then like we get you know yeah was she allergic to bees <laughs> oh my it's- god yeah but it's just like this strange idea that she had this you know fully must have had in in the like yeah, fully formed life as a wife, a partner, right? But the only way she comes back is in the dead body form. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's because it's the only version of her he still cares about. Mm, right, because he didn't think he well, was in love with her until she is... was gone. Yeah, and when yeah. and when she, they have that really sad conversation where he's she's like, "Well, did you ever think about me?" And he's like, o- "Only only when I was upset. <laughs> every now and again. Every now sometimes. You know, yeah. I mean, every, like, whenever I was sad. Whenever yeah. I was sad, yeah. which is." Which is funny because later on we talk about like how only like when men are sad do they ask questions like you know about why we exist and like why am I is existence pain Mm -hmm. and yeah Mm -hmm. so coming from like production design background like from my from my you know kind of more simplistic certainly understanding of the issue this movie is gorgeous and Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of intentional production choices i think about mm-hmm. how we how we are looking how we are presented with things and i think that we should touch on that because it's such a huge part of the movie um and and i think it plays a little bit into into the themes we're talking about um specifically i want to talk about the kind of the, the the dreamy pastoral scenes on earth and then the rundown dilapidated space station that they that they um <laughs> that uh, Chris eventually arrives at and and everything sort of is a set piece from the main drama of the film. Um, what do we make of that? Um, it's interesting because like these pastorals, first I'd like to say I love the way that they're filmed because by doing such a slow zoom onto like the fronds waving in the water, it's, it's almost like we're not zooming. It's just like that they're growing and getting bigger. Um, so this like organic matter that is like, kind of overtaking we have like all this beauty and like it's what is being associated as real versus what is not like we go up in the space station and like you know everything's science and like you know what even is existence whereas on earth like those were not his questions because he's surrounded by nature and they like miss this nature like this like making um cut up uh tissue paper sound like leaves at night in order to uh, (laughs) try and like simulate this thing that they miss we got lots of lules out of that one. Really I, ho- into I hope I hope that. you were chuckling about that too, Kate. That's like yeah, such a sad part. We're of very the- into no, like, him bringing a cut up piece of paper to his room <laughs> and like so, check this out. It's so weird and pathetic. <laughs> no, oh, but you, you missed that. Well, hey, I got something for you. <laughs> you're gonna need this now. <laughs> yeah, you're at the time of being here where you need the the, the fake paper leaves. <laughs> it's gonna happen. But um, the, this comparison between this, like, natural beauty that's, like, calming and, like, the time we take and, like, the wild horse and, like, um, this, this unbridled life. And I feel like that's almost what Hari and the guests represent is this um, unbridled will for life to find a way. Uh, and in juxtaposition, we have, like, this technology that I think we're supposed to just be mistrustful of, like, uh, a deep, um, like, it it traps you it like encases you like you're sick here it makes like loud noises um i think that uh i think that there's supposed to be like a rejection of it 
I that's... I I agree entirely. Mm-hmm. Like um, you, you said this to me, Selena, when we were watching it. Um, it's it's like the space station represents the failure of the progress the progressive Soviet agenda. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like yeah. we're t- like at what seventy two nineteen seventy two. Yeah. Right. So like. The Soviets have already led the space race mm-hmm. and then lost, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's this whole technological innovation. I mean, there's Talina, this... did they or did we just fake it so that they <laughs> well... thought they lost? I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just, 2001. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, maybe maybe the issue was that um, they were like, well, we we have Kubrick to to, to fake our space race, but all we have is Tarkovsky, and he doesn't give a shit about and space. He's like, I got a piece of black construction paper <laughs> and a hole puncher. That's space. Yeah, I yeah, don't. No. I don't it, give it, a shit about this part of the, of the, the the blobby ocean is ridiculous. Can we agree about that? It's oh, beautiful. I, I think it's beautiful. Oh okay. my god, well, I have a we whole disagree guys. about that. I have a whole I have a whole th- I think that it's really cool <laughs> all right um so but, like just the, yeah. the what about whole the initial shots of it like it, it as it becomes more active it becomes more visually you know stunning like at the very beginning I have a straight on like, boner for Solaris I'm sold, the I'm sold entire, on the ocean the entire time I'm like yes. yeah 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 Get- I'm like it's like liquid light show and I'm there <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's I it's agree. 1968. I'm high as hell, and I'm watching this liquid light show. I'm all the way in. I want to dive deep <laughs> into those oceans, swim those waters. Yep. But yeah, it's just like. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I do think that there's you know one of the reasons why this movie was probably troubling to the Soviets too, like that that derelict space station, and you know, like the conditions in which filmmakers are working in this era that he's having to like Tarkovsky is not a genre filmmaker absolutely not that to be able to talk about individualism he has to put forward this sci-fi movie on a Soviet budget like the there's just like I think even just the production design has this critique embedded in it of like the conditions of yeah, just humanity in the Soviet system and expressive arts and any, yeah, emotionality, individualism, religion, like anything like that. It's it's all embedded within the design of the space station. The space station is this holder for so much symbolic meaning. Mm-hmm. I also, I liked, I felt like it wasn't just like... <laughs> It wasn't just like he was like, Earth is all like this and space stations all like this. There is like connective tissue between the two of them. And I feel like it's the stillness sure. in both spots. So I agree entirely with you, Kate. Like we got like the wild horse and we got like mm-hmm. there's like there is like kinetic, exciting things on Earth far more so than what we have um, on the space station. But it seemed to me it struck me that like generally when I see like it's like verdant life and it's like you're like buzzing and you can hear like little insects rattling around and birds and like the grass and waves. You don't really have that here. It's more placid. We spend a lot of time on that still pond. We spend a lot of time and it's sort of like it's quiet, but it's definitely alive. It's very green. We see that we see things growing. We see like some gentle movement. We know we know that it's all it's all sort of thriving, (laughs) but in a quiet, in a quiet, subdued way. Whereas then you have the space station that's like this post-apocalyptic city where clearly there was like all this like chaos and like crazy kinetic energy, like vending machines bursting through the floor 
and like and like crazy like black mold everywhere so there, there must have been an incredible amount of water damage that must have flooded at some point you know like there's there's all this sign that like very destructive chaotic bad things happened and now we're just sort of standing in the still the stillness of it um it just like waiting for it to. I mean, there's dust. even a fire when he walks on initially. Yeah, there's that like sparking out. thing. Yeah, yeah. And so you have like this really alive earth that's placid and calm, but like, but but thriving. And then you have this hopeless, dusty, bad, forgotten place that is progress, quote unquote. That's what we think we should be doing. And then you have Solaris, which I think is the most kinetic thing, which is just like this roiling ocean below that is like mysterious, but like definitely full of life. Like, you know, that and beyond a shadow of a doubt, because it's so kinetically different from either of the other places. And I, I just thought that that was like such a cool, like a very subtle, masterful way of connecting all the pieces together and like communicating with you that like that the, the alien spaces you're seeing have stuff going on there like it's and they all connect together and they're all very beautiful so i i thought it was amazing i and really enjoyed the way this movie looks it's very smartly made obviously um at the end right so hari dies of her like commit suicide for the final time and then we see chris say you know i think i think i'm gonna basically i think i'm gonna stay there's nowhere there's nowhere else for me to go and then we see him returning to uh what we believe is his father's farm Looking at that placid pond, cue more reed shots, beautiful reed shots. Thank God. Quietly waving around underwater. Um, and uh, and he returns. He, his, fa- his father comes out of the house. The house is a little weird. We know that it's weird. There's like water pouring through. And yeah. Wait. Water draining everywhere in a way that v- doesn't happen. V. Tarkovsky. V. Tarkovsky. V. Tarkovsky right there. And uh, we have, so we kind of know something's not totally on the level. We know that we know that there is something that's definitely not a twist, but might be a twist <laughs> around the bend. And it zooms out. He embraces his father. He kneels and embraces his father around the waist like we do. And <laughs> with all of our dads. As is natural. As is natural and good when you are greeting your father. <laughs> and it zooms out and we realize, oh, there are, he's on one of these little islands that have popped up. It started Come on, it's a Solaris. little bit of a twist, all right? I'm not, you know, yeah, whatever. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. teasing, I'm not teasing you. But like, but like, the islands, wait, when did the islands start forming in Solaris? Is it after Hari? After, uh, after he herself? sent his encephalogram or whatever? How do you pronounce that? Oh, they send Chris's encephalogram... They as radiation to they, they the beam solar his ocean. mind thoughts. Yeah, they, bla- they the- blast his memories of the ocean. Because, you know, the man's mind is real strong. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's where he chooses to live out his days. Um, which is interesting. I don't think it's a twist because I think we know it's going to happen. No matter what. Yeah. Like, no, no, for sure. No, yeah. he- first of all, Hero's Journeys. We're not just going to go back to Earth. No. Hero's Journeys always, like, usually end with Hero coming home. He's got to come home so we can learn how he is now different. Number one. Number two, he makes an enormous deal when he leaves about burning all of his stuff. So we know, and then, like, being like, I'm cutting myself off from my life on Earth. Like, that's, like, a huge thing. But. Well, and his dad says this thing about, like, are you jealous because this guy might be the one to bury me? Yeah. Oh yeah, which is what well, well, will be because Solaris is far away, so yeah. he knows that he's not going to make it back in time to see his dad alive. But we have Chris 
betraying the fact that he burned everything and doesn't care that super doesn't is super over his farm and does not care about his life on earth because he packs that sad little metal box with a plant he brings it with him and it betrays him he does he is he's doing what uh what snout said he's doing he's looking he does not want to explore to find new stuff he wants to explore to find the same old stuff which reflect him and explain him that's what he wants to do so I do think it makes sense that he returns to a house that his father built to look exactly like his father's house to live out his days, like emotionally in his memories. I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess the question is, do we feel bad <laughs> yeah. about that? I don't, because I don't care what happens to Christmas. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm fine. As, as soon as Hari's gone, I'm done. I, I have to write <laughs> out. Part I out. gave zero fucks. <laughs> I, oh, Hari annihilated herself. Bye. Bye. <laughs> you can cut off. You can cut off a solid half hour of the movie if you do that. <laughs> Click. Click. I guess my end question would be: Does it matter, or if it does matter, why does it matter that he's living in a world that's just his memories? Well, I mean, I think it's a little bit like retreating. In, like, I think it's representative of tr- retreating inward and like just um. Like, like he creates a world that he can be in, like where he can embrace his father instead of being like, well, I'm glad you said it right before I left that you like, you know, care and you miss me, you know. But um, I mean, I I think it's fine. I, I think it would be hard to go back to a normal life and ever really uh, engage in it. But also, like, again, I don't really care about this guy. So I'm probably the wrong person to answer this question. Talina? Uh, i mean does it matter well in the tarkovsky universe uh, like much like the marvel universe but very different but still with fridging (laughs) (laughs) but in the tarkovsky universe like the you know live in your memories live in the past live in a dream like all of that carries all of this yeah i mean it's it's yeah i don't know that's kind of the existential core of lots of Tarkovsky's work and so does it matter or do, do I worry no it's like this is fine yeah. like that's it's... like you know this is I think also going to what's going on in Soviet Russia at this point as an artist trying to make work about individuality and sacred issues and those sorts of things like yeah is he living in this kind of alternate reality yeah, totally. Like he's he's making this science fiction film to be able to talk about these themes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think like the in this this resolution makes perfect sense. Um, thinking about it as an allegory for the conditions of people in Russia and especially someone trying to make something expressive about individuality in Russia. Totally, like spot on. Um, yeah, do we care about the outcome? <laughs> Like another question, I, yeah. Because I care like that the, Hari died. I care that Hari died, and like this is the kind of big, like big feminist unpacking we can do, and I can do of of Tarkovsky's work, which is like he's super, super into what happens to that guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Tarkovsky has a lot of female characters that have interesting nuance, like throughout his work, but everything centers on what happens to that guy. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he makes movies about dudes Mm -hmm. who are having, like, heavy experiences of some sort. But, yeah, they center on dudes. Yeah. Largely. I I feel like looking at it from this perspective, I don't care. But I do think from, like, a a humanitarian 
perspective, I do like I, I do want this movie to have a satisfying conclusion because it is a very it feels like a it feels like a good heavy meal. And I want to like I want to have like that mint at the end, you know, like I want it. I want it to wrap the up Andes nicely. Mint. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. exactly. I want I want to climb that Andes. Um, I don't. So it does matter to me that it's satisfying. And I, I do think it is a satisfying end because it's a little bit it's melancholy. Like you you're forced to question whether or not that is something you would choose for one yourself. You know, is, is that is that a is this a viable way to live out your life living by like prox like proxies of the people that you love because you can't actually get back to any of the people that you loved because you decided that they weren't important until it was too late. Like that's that's a that's a, it's a it's a melancholy, satisfying ending, which I think is appropriate for this film. It is hard. Totally. To, it is hard to care about him when he's on that little like. You know, archipelago at the end. No, he's like, well, I don't know. It's all. I guess it's fine. Um, but I did. I did think it narratively. It does unfold beautifully. Um, all right. Final thoughts. Do we recommend this movie, and why, and why not? I. I it's not like it's not light watching. If no. you if no. you two are exhausted by the world, this might not be the first movie. You'll want to flip on. It's not a however, rainy day movie, no. In, in a casual. Way. However, not, I don't think I do think yeah. if 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 the Kate Whitney fan edit uh, went out there, that everyone should see it because I would love it to has, see the Kate it deals Whitney with fan so much one. interesting <laughs> information. Well, it would definitely end when Hari dies. <laughs> I have, be over. I have, you have one, in, at least one interested party to see that. Cool, it, and Good. I think that that is enough. Yeah. for you. Good. To do no, I it. I think so too. That's enough for me to. That's enough for me to be interested. You know. <laughs> um, anyway, I have I'm sorry. Anyway, concept. <laughs> I do recommend this movie because it's gorgeous and it's genuinely creepy and it makes you I, I think it forces you to think about emotion in a way that not very many science fiction films do in a very beautiful, subtle way. Like it, it is it is I think it's a unique experience. And I think it's worth it. And I I think even though, like I said, we've been we've been making fun mercilessly of the runtime. I, I do think it's yeah, paced well. I watched it twice and was not like six hours of my life gone. Like I was like I was like six <laughs> hours of my life well spent. Enjoyed it. I think I think that like most very good films, you can look at this film from multiple different perspectives and leave satisfied. And I felt looking at it from a feminist perspective, I was satisfied. I found nuance and interesting stuff there. Um, and 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 also critiques. And like, what else, what else do you want? That's what you want, right? You don't want something just served to you and you're just like, ugh, I'm full. It's perfect. You want things that leave you wanting a little bit more or things that are like, oh, what? What? You want to you, you want to wound that little girl in blue? That's weird. What, dude? So I think it, it's a it's a solid I think it's a solid way to watch this film. And I would recommend doing so. Worthwhile pursuit. Well, c- clearly I recommend it because I you selected recommended it. it. You recommended it to us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at any rate, like. I recommended this to the three of us to talk about because, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot, there's thoughtful filmmaking, but from this kind of male perspective, right? And, and you know, within my world as a female film professor, I run up against the big old roadblocks of film bros all the time in different ways, right? In film studies, in theory, in, you know, people not letting me touch a camera, which this is a shout out to Carol Lee, who has recently passed. Like there's a uh, Carol Lee Schneemann filmmaker um, 
there's a quote from her talking about another big giant in experimental film uh, not wanting to let her touch a camera because they're afraid she'd menstruate on it. Ooh. <laughs> like as a, you know. Yeah, as a joke. Yeah, but, but like as a joke, right? But, like, but, but, but like there as... is this kind of whole patriarchal like filmmaking canon that is untouchable, right? And so like, yeah, this is partly why I recommended it to us because I thought it would be interesting and or a little bit a little bit edgy for me to take on Tarkovsky in, in, in my little corner of filmmaking world. Um, but ultimately, like this movie haunts me, even if I had felt like I had forgotten major, major plot points like the soundtrack, these formal choices, the idea of someone in an extremely restrictive environment in Soviet Russia making a film about what it is to be a person in personhood and feelings and emotionality and individuality and and faith and belief and all of these big existential crises, but within that Soviet context, I think is super fascinating. So, um, yeah, I mean, from a filmmaking perspective, everything Tarkovsky touches is gorgeous, like objectively beautiful stuff too. So it's like a delight to take in. Um, Right. And it's like, you know, genre films, like one of the reasons why, even though I don't make genre films and, and I don't work in this manner, like I don't mind teaching genre films because I love how they're a commentary on the social, like the place and time in which they're made and the fears. 100%. Of, yeah. And the fears of that time period. Right. And so, like, I think this movie speaks to something really interesting socially about like you know 1972 Soviet Russia, like the failure of the state. It's just a few years off from the end, uh-huh. right, of of the the Eastern Bloc. Like, and so speaking to those fears and the, the loss of, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's lots to unpack in this movie, so I recommend it. Yeah. Sweet. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but it's like, I, I feel like we have, you know, I have less of a sense of, like, the untouchables because I am not, you know, I'm not in the industry. So, but I do have a sense of, like, important film and, like, you can't, you can't talk critically about important film. Or, like, if you're going to talk critically about important film, I need to have a million citations about why right. I'm correct and, like, all those sorts of things. And Yeah, the, the gatekeeping of, yeah. like, uh, critique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the film bro, the ever-present film bro, the specter of the film bro that, like, is all around the edges waiting to take us down for talking about Tarkovsky. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely. Totally. I think, like, that's part of why it's, it's very helpful for me in solidarity to have you two, like, ready <laughs> to, like, you know crack crack some laughs about it but (laughs) like get into some really thoughtful perspectives on like you know what does it mean to have these untouchable figures within the canon who are just like roundly celebrated right yeah absolutely absolutely so going back to my earlier story about being in my video rental place hancock hancock premiere (laughs) r.i.p now you're a big parking lot very big parking structure for a grocery store that is not necessary um yay video rental r.i.p in general (laughs) r.i.p um but so after i popped my head up from this from from the the racks of, of vhs's and dvds um the guy was like the guy behind the counter was like well what would you recommend he rent? Like, pff, punk, what do you think? And I said... Yeah, what do you know? And I said, you should rent Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and you should watch that with her, because that is a bum, movie. Bum, bum, bum. And that is what we're watching next! <laughs> 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 Which is totally unplanned, but it just, it just 
segue. It just was. Mm-hmm. So, Tina, yeah. it has been an absolute treat and a, a dream treat. to have you and not of the feverish uh, absolving of me of my sins type of dream. I'm putting a plan in the box And not of right the uh, woman who appears and then uh, annihilates herself. <laughs> I like that you're sticking around, you know? I'm, I'm Don't put- make me shoot up that oxygen. <laughs> I'm putting... <laughs> I'm putting on. I'm putting on my crotch emphasizing harness and pointing it right at you, girl. Because well, it, it has been bump, the best. Bump, the, bump, the listeners bump. who can't tell, I've been wearing tidy whities and a moto jacket this entire recording. Oh my god, guys, I'm not in the same city as you but me too. <laughs> um, but it's been absolute, just a treat and a, a you're a gem of a human being. Thank you so much for being uh, on our podcast. Thanks, it's it an absolute delight for me oh, as well. That's yeah. wonderful. Um, do you have anything to plug? What I am working on a documentary feature right now, shooting in Mexico, about to go back the week after next for the last awesome. production shoot. So. Very Keep cool. an eye out on your local documentary film festival that's willing to get a little weird uh, to look out for Voladoras. <laughs> also, keep an eye out on our social media where we will definitely update you all. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's a film about badass women um, who are opening doors for other women, uh, women who are blazing a trail for women to participate in an indigenous ritual in Mexico that only men have been allowed to participate in until very recently. So it's all about gender equality and it's a feminist film production shot by an all female crew. So, Hell yeah. 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 Keep your eyes out. That sounds right up our alley. For a very uh, weird documentary. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Into it. Thanks for listening to Space Bros. Head on over to Apple Podcasts or the platform of your choice to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. By the way, one of those platforms is now Spotify, so check us out on there. We also have a brand new website, so be sure to visit outrageousmechanisms.com slash space dash bras that is s-p-a-c-e dash b-r-a-s and check out our social meds. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, but I don't update that very well. Uh, at Space Bras, no dash. And now, join us as we raise our glasses and give the official toast of Space Bras. In these troubled times, we must remember that even though everyone else might suck, we are awesome and the galaxy is ours. Cheers! Cheers! Outrageous.